Hi there, my name's Shane Gusey, and you are listening to the 350th episode of Talking Blues. Let me begin by asking you which came first, step dancing or music? Um, step dancing actually came first. Uh, so yeah, you have done a little background on me. Uh, so I started as a step dancer. My grandfather was actually a step dancer and that's why I got into it. So he was, by trade, he was a farmer, but he, when they did the very first Canadian open competition, he was the guy that won it. So that sort of was a little bit of a claim to fame for him. And then as a result of that, they ended up flying him out East um, several times to do, I think he went out about seven times to do a uh, guest spots on the Don Messer show. The Don Messer show was a wildly popular television show on the CBC way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he would be a guest on those shows and, um, and, but he loved fiddle music. I mean, fiddle music and step dancing sort of went hand in hand. And so I always, there were always fiddler, fiddle players around his place and really good ones. And he would have this party every summer where all the fiddlers, when they'd be on their way to the Canadian Open Championship in Shelburne, they would stop on the Thursday at his farm and everybody would camp in the orchard. And he would spend, God, like, you know, I don't know how much time he, he took, but I remember as a kid, they would take time to build this big dance floor and they put it out in the back. And then the back porch was like the stage and then they'd have music. And people would dance and it would, they'd go all night long, right? Until the sun came up. And then the next day, everybody would take off on their way to the, to the contest. So I had a lot of exposure to great fiddle players. And uh, so for me, that was like the coolest thing. That's what I wanted to do. Like I, plus I got to realize after a while, it's like, we well, only dance for so long. You can play fiddle all night. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that, it, it, so it was more fun to be able to, to be involved in, in jamming uh, you know, and for a long period of time, as opposed to go out and dance for, you know, three minutes and then have to take a breather before you go back out and do it again. Uh, so your dad wasn't, sorry, your grandfather wasn't a musician in any way, but your dad was. Yeah, well, my dad was a musician, yeah. So later on, so my grandfather, like I said, I got into step dancing because of him. Um, and he passed when I was relatively young. He passed away when I was 10. And, uh, and so I had just started playing the fiddle at that point. And, uh, and as a result, we got asked to do uh, a tribute to him at a lot of these, uh, the fiddle contests. In those days, you go to a fiddle contest in Ontario uh, every weekend from, you know, the May 2-4 till Labor Day. There'd be a contest. Can you, you, can you just tell me what, what a fiddle contest would be? A fiddle contest is like, uh, so people come from all over the place, basically some of them come from pretty far distances to compete against one another. Uh, and so it'd be fiddle and step dance competition. So if you're a step dancer, you would, you would compete in different age categories. And then there was like an open category, um, which would be the highest level that you could compete at. And, uh, and there would be a specific routine you'd have to do. You'd have to do a, a clog jig and a reel. And, uh, and you have to do it with under four minutes or something like that. And, uh, and then there would be different winners and same with the fiddle players. So fiddle players would come travel from all over the place. 
as a fiddler in a Canadian uh, fiddle contest, you have to play a waltz, jig, and a reel, and again within a certain time frame. And uh, and then there are judges that would judge uh, and, uh, and claim a winner. And some of the cash prizes were generally pretty good, especially in the open classes, especially for fiddle. So my grandfather used to judge those contests when he was alive. So that's why they asked us, like when he passed, he was really well known in that circuit. So they said, would you guys come and, and dance the routine that he always did as a tribute to him? And so my dad stepped in because he had a lot of dance background, although not step dancing, but he picked it up very quickly. And, uh, and so that's how I started performing with my sister and my dad. So performing at this point as a musician, not as a step dancer or both. Just as a step dancer, really, at that point. At that point, still just as a step dancer. But then this is where it gets kind of, uh, you know, things go off the rails a little bit. Is So we would do this tribute to him. And we did it for, you know, a year. We'd go to all the contests and we did this thing. And then we started getting asked to do performances in other places or or guest spots on other people's shows. And, And of course, you can't, again, you can't dance for, you know, 75 minutes it's like you got to do something else so that's when we started i again i had been i had already started playing the fiddle my sister was playing the fiddle as well and then you know in order to do i think one time somebody called the house and asked my dad if we could do a show at some at some fair somewhere and he said sure even though we didn't have a show but he just said yes and then we had to come up with something and do it and that was sort of that was my that was my introduction into, you know, uh, the entertainment world and, uh, and performing in front of people was really that. Up until then, I'd just been in, comp, you know, fiddle contests and step dance contests. So, so tell me about the, the mentality of being in those competitions, the, the fiddle and step dance competitions. I mean, how did you view that? Uh, as a kid, yeah. I, hated, I hated competing. I, cause it was like, just, I stressed me out. I hated it, but I loved going to the contest because it was, there were so many other kids, the same age as me, all coming, all doing the same thing, playing the same music, you know? So it was this community of, of musicians and, and step dancers and, and I loved it. And that's, I mean, I learned as much going to those contests, sitting at the jams that would happen in the, you know, in the parks after the contest. Um, as I did in my lessons, because you get to sit down with the people who were the best players um, at the time. And, you know, you could sit next to them and and watch them and play along with them. And if you didn't know the tune, you'd be like, what's the name of that song? And they'd show it to you. And and so I love that part of it. And I still I have friends to this day that, um, you know, that I met in those in those early contest days. So it was it was a neat experience as a kid. Does does that still exist? That circuit of step dance and competition with the fiddle does that still it does. exist? Okay. It does. Uh, they still happen. Uh, there's not as many as there used to be. Um, they're not as well attended, I don't think, as they used to be. But there are still several competitions that you can go to throughout the summer. Um, and then, of course, you still have the Canadian Open in Shelburne, and then the Grand Masters is happens. It happens in a different place every year. So, yeah. So. Now you you have this the Gousset family band, and <laughs> yes. and and now you're doing not competitions but special events that leads yeah. to other shows. What mm-hmm. was that like for you? We're so, talking you like you're like nine, twelve, 
I'm pro- by this point, I'm yeah, I'm young. I'm just gonna say I'm probably by the time I stopped competition and was just playing shows, I'd probably probably thirteen. Okay, I was probably thirteen years old by this point. Um, it was, <laughs> I mean, to me, it was just my world. It was normal. But I mean, looking back on it, it was very not normal. It was not a normal way for a thirteen-year-old kid to to grow up, but. Um, so we, yeah, we played all sorts of different shows. Like, and for a lot of years I performed with my dad and my sister, but of course there's only three of us. So we would always bring in other musicians as well. And that's where I met guys like Wendell Ferguson and Steve Strongman and, and those scenarios, because these were other guys that came in and played in the band at some point I did a tenure in the band. And so as a kid, uh, you know, I think of a guy like Wendell, he was one of the first, uh, musicians that uh, I I met that wasn't a fiddle player and what didn't come from a, a fiddle contest. He was just he was a player and uh, and playing all these shows with different people that I'd heard on the radio and whatever. And so I would listen to the, their stories and hear them talking about what you know the gigs they were doing and and I was just like, man, I want to do that like that. You know, I want to do what those guys are doing because it sounds like it's really fun. So we would play these shows, um, and I met lots of different musicians, and I learned a ton, you know, just from the from these other players as well as just the experience of playing and getting up and playing all the time, all the time. Did a ton of traveling, and uh, and did that for many many years, uh, in in every capacity. Um. So how is it that somebody says, "Hey, would you guys do a show?" and your dad said, "Yes." And that grew into touring all over North America. It did eventually. It How did does that happen? Well, it hardly makes any sense, does it? But it, I think, I was a little bit a testament to the, uh, you know, my, my dad just, you know, being stubborn enough to just stick it out. Um, and and we just got better as we went. I mean, when we first started, we were we were good dancers, but we weren't very good at anything else. And uh, <laughs> You know, we played a lot of crappy gigs and, uh, you know, and, and you cut your teeth. As, as that's what you do as a musician. I think every musician has those times where it's like, well, you know, I took it, I was playing shows and, and they weren't always great, but that's where you learn, right? And so a lot of traveling. Um, and eventually, yeah, we did do stuff all over, all over Canada and the U.S., across Canada and into the States. And we did stuff, you know, uh, trying to think. And then it, and we also played on cruise ships for a while. That was a thing um, for a number of years, and we would travel all over the world. And I met lots of, uh, you know, like we did some stuff. I remember going and opening for Roy Clark at his theater in Branson, Missouri, which Roy Clark was, was you know, famous from the, the show Hee Haw and, uh, yeah. and lots of hits. And, <laughs> and hell of a guitar and, uh, player. Hell of a guitar player. And, uh, you know, like neat experiences. I remember that gig in particular. This was this was quite a few years later on. Um Closer to the end of when we were doing the family stuff, I guess, oh. or partway, maybe in the peak of it. And uh, and in his band, he had three fiddle players. And the one guy in particular uh, really was very nice, very kind to me. And he would always take me aside. And, and, I, and I played mandolin as well. And so he also played mandolin. And he's like, oh, you got to, you know, he would show me all these different chord voicings and, and different you know, kind of jazz standards. And we would jam in between shows and um 
and I never forgot it. You know, he was the nicest guy. And then we went on and I never saw him again until years and years later, I've got a Western swing band called the Western swing authority. And this guy comments on something that I put online, like some video online. He's like, wow, I really like your band. And I was like, I know you, you're, you're Shelby Eichert. And, and, you know, and I remember you and I told the whole story. I'm sure he didn't remember me at all, but you know, I was like, you, like, that was a huge influence on me. You're showing me all that stuff. And, you know, I think that band might not even exist if it wasn't for you. So kind of neat little experiences that, uh, you know, sort of steer you in different directions. Um, but of course, when you're playing in a, in a family band, there always comes a time where somebody wants to try something different or do something different and maybe the others don't. And so we eventually we, we did get to that point. I sort of done a lot of juggling where I was taking other gigs that I wanted to do. So, I mean, at this point I'm out playing clubs and I'm starting to get calls from different recording acts. And, uh, but we're basically talking country music. Oh yeah. For the most part, all country music. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I would say at one point I, I did go down to Nashville and I went to these camps. Well, Mark O'Connor, who's a very famous fiddler, would hold these camps in Nashville. And uh, and he would bring in instructors from all different styles of all styles of fiddling. So it would be like, you know, who's the top dog in the bluegrass world? Who's the guy in the swing jazz world? Who's the guy in the this, who's in the that? And, uh, and you would go and you'd just spend a week just immersed in in uh, learning from all these different these people that were probably have you know, been heroes of yours forever and uh and that was massively influential on me because there were some guys that still that i still talk to to this day that i still um you know buddy spiker became a mentor of mine and those you know that mark o'connor had an album called the new nashville cats and that was another moment where i was like i heard that record and i was like that's i want to do that like that's what I want. I don't want to just play fiddle tunes. I want to do all this other stuff. So anyways, as we, as I said, I'm starting to get different calls and, and eventually I get a call for, um, for a pretty major touring gig. And so I have to, you know, I have to commit to it. And so that's when I, when I stopped playing with my family and, uh, and just started playing just on my own with, uh, with other people. And, uh, and I did a lot of that, um, I have done. I still do that to this day. Yeah. How does your family take the news that you you want to leave? Like <laughs> just as just as you would imagine, uh, it, it didn't <laughs> it didn't go over well. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was a it was quite a bone of contention between my father and I for a long long time. Um, but you know, eventually he you know I went on to do lots of different things and. Uh, and I think, you know, he gets, he got to realize that, you know, I would never have been able to do the things that I got, to, that I've been able to do in my career had I kept doing that. I had to, I had to make that move. And so um, every once in a while, we still, well, my dad has passed now, but my sister still um, does, once a year, she does a show that is a fundraiser for kids' ability. And so if I am home and can be part of that, I'll be part of that. And that's sort of our time that we'll do. And our kids are involved in it and everything. So it's a, it's sort of that kind of goes back to those days. But uh, so, yeah, it didn't go over well. <laughs> it didn't go over well at all. But uh, 
but we got past it. Um, I'm glad you did. I'm sorry to bring that up. Such bad memories, but no, uh, that's okay. <laughs> it's you know what? I don't think there's too many people that you would talk to that started or grew up playing in a family band where that moment doesn't happen. It's yeah. Just, it does. It's it's part of it. I've met lots of uh, musicians along the way that they're like, oh, yeah, I did that, too. I grew up with it. And then we have all these parallels in our life that, you know, and there's always that moment. And so it's just it's kind of part of it. So when you grow up playing with the, your, your family band and this, it sounds like the Goose family band did quite well. Uh, and in fact, when I was talking to Steve Strongman about it, he said that during those shows, you and your sister and maybe your dad as well do the step dancing while playing. Yep. Um, so yep. when did when did the playing and dancing, does that still go on at all in any way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't done, I mean, I haven't done a lot of that recently. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like riding a bike. You can. The last time I danced would have been a Christmas, just before Christmas. And prior to that, it was probably a year before I had done it since. Um, so it's usually that first time's a little shocking and then you're just like, Oh my God. But, um, but yeah, it's like riding a bike. I did it for so long. It's just like, I, I can't, I can't forget how to do it anymore. So, um, but the dancing and playing was sort of a novelty thing that would, you know, you do, we used to do this number where you would play, you know, it was trick fiddling where you would play behind your back and upside down. And, and then my sister and I would sort of play each other's fiddles at the same time so we'd be fingering one instrument but bowing the other one and and uh and then the end would always be you would dance and play at the same time which would be the big the big showstopper at the end <laughs> um okay so in talking to steve and steve by steve i mean steve strongman he also told me that you used to go to the mel brown jam sessions yes so sure tell did. me about this young country musician and what you got out of maybe jamming with Mel? <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, I had, I mean, I, I played, obviously yeah, I did play a lot of country uh, music, but uh, I liked lots of different kinds of music. And, and one of those was blues. I actually had friends that I went through high school with uh, that they, they love blues music as well. And I remember everybody was talking about this Mel Brown that was playing Wednesday nights at the Gator you got to go and you got to go. And I, of course, we weren't old enough to get in initially. Um, but I remember, I'm pretty sure we did get in a couple times, maybe prior to being old enough to get in. Um, but just maybe just right. And then as soon as I was old enough to go there, we would go pretty religiously every Wednesday night. As long as I was home and could do it, I would, I would. Um, and uh, it was awesome. Like it was just such a great, there's, there's just something about, Mel and that band and every band that he's really kind of had, um, you know, there was just so much soul to it. Like you just couldn't help, but it was just so good, you know, and I, I attest, you know, I can play swing music and, and I can play blues music and I can sit in that pocket because I spent hours sitting and watching and listening to Mel Brown. And, uh, but it was funny cause he knew that I played something, but he never knew what he just knew that I would play. Cause there's lots of musicians in town knew me and they'd be talking to me. And, and, and so he'd always finish the first set and he'd always be, you know, he'd always do the first set. And then the second set, you'd be able to get up and jam. And he'd look down at me and go, did you bring your guitar? And I'd be like, no, I did not. 
<laughs> you don't want to hear me play guitar. And uh, so it was a long time before I worked up the nerve to, you know, well, you know what, I'll bring my fiddle in and I'll get up and play. Um, but it was great. You know, I loved it. And and I remember I would come in and, and the mellow, I'd call a tune. Sometimes I'd call, you know, so I, the one time I called Sweet George Brown and uh, the bass player didn't know it. And Mel goes, that's all right. I'll play bass. And Mel played bass and like just played, like played the snot out of it. Like just <laughs> killed it, you know, like it was so great. And I was like, man, that was wild. Like I never saw him play bass until that, but I'd never even seen him pick up the bass. But <laughs> of course I knew he played piano and I knew that he was guitar, but I'd never seen him play bass. Of course he was amazing. And then even at the end of that, I think I must've been one of the last people to get up in the set because we were talking afterward and I had my fiddle and he goes, let me see that thing. And he was going to play, he went to play and he goes, oh, I don't know, it's been a long time. And I, but I wouldn't doubt for a minute. I wouldn't doubt for a minute that he could play it because, uh, you know, he just seemed to be able to do everything. For sure. When you grow up in a situation where you're playing with your family, at what point do you decide this is really what I want to do for the rest of my life, being a musician? Yeah, well... <laughs> That's a good question, and I don't even know if I know exactly the time. It just seemed to be always something that I did. And then even after I graduated high school, I went to university, but all through university, I'd be ducking out to, to play and, and maybe do a little short tour and, and you know, oh, I'm not going to be, I'm going to have to, you know, defer a term because I'm going to be away for five weeks or whatever. Um, and so it's... I went through and finished my degree. And by the time I finished my degree, I was just itching to get out and get playing, you know, get on the road. Um, so I don't know when their conscious point was that I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. It just sort of was like, I, I didn't know what else I would do. I mean, I guess I had ideas, but you know, an interesting, I, I started my university career in the music department. And I went to study music and, uh, but we really, I, I don't think I picked, I didn't pick the right program. And so when I got in there, it was, it was all very strict classical, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so did you have it, any background? Did you have any time in the classical I took lessons like I did take lessons from uh, various different teachers and I would always sort of ping pong back and forth between classical music and fiddle. And I would go to the classical lessons really for technique. I didn't want to play classical music. It just didn't speak to me, but I want to play fiddle music, but I wanted to get better at playing fiddle. So I sort of hit a plateau with the fiddle and then I'd say, okay, and I'd go and I, and I would uh, take the classical lessons and, and work on my technique and, and help build that and then go back to the fiddle and so i did have some experience in, in that world but not nothing like what the other people that were going into these programs you know it's just, i was really playing everything but and uh, and then i was playing going out and playing gigs and they didn't like it they were like you should you know they're like if you're in this program you're you're in it and you shouldn't be out playing hmm we're in there unless it has something to do with school which i always thought was crazy i was like well that's the whole point like that's why i'm here and i remember uh, a teacher i was doing well in the program but i had an instructor that you know, i remember was had a lesson and she said to me she goes i said oh, i'm going to be away next week because i'm you know, 
I think I was going to Branson, Missouri or something like that. And, uh, and she said, you know, you can't keep doing that. I said, well, I have to keep doing that. I can't pay to go to school if I don't play. Like that's how I'm, that's how I'm paying to be here. And she said, and she said, well, you know, what you're doing isn't real music and you have to get your priorities straight. And so I was like, she said, it'll ruin you. You have to get your priorities straight. So I said, okay, I will. I'll get my priorities straight. And I walked out of that lesson and I went and I changed my major after that day. And so I kind of put a bit of a chip on my shoulder a little bit. So at that point, I was like almost to the point. So at this point, I'm at a point in my life where I've, I feel like I've kind of got something to prove because I've got something to prove to that lady that told me that this music was going to ruin me and that I would never, you know, and nothing would ever come of it. Maybe I've got something to prove because, you know, when I, when I left the family band, um, my dad was very upset about it. And so I felt like, you know, I'm going to show him this was the right move. Uh, you know, and I, those are things that I did not think about at the time, but as I look back on it now, I'm like, I totally kind of went into this world. Like I have something to prove a little bit. I have to, I have to do this and do it right because, uh, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let these people t- that told me I couldn't do it be right. Okay. So you're obviously a great musician because you won not not only because you've won a lot of awards, but you have won a lot of awards and have gotten a lot of recognition for your playing. You've also been asked by a lot of great musicians to come and play on on stage with them in the studio with them. Mm. What is it about you? Like, how does that happen? Is this is it the chip on your shoulder and you just practice your ass off? <laughs> like, how does how does one get to to achieve the things that you've done? If you can explain that, you know, I, I think I chalk it up to a lot of experience, you know, certainly probably some luck, maybe uh, a little bit of my father's ability to say, yeah, I can do that when I wasn't sure I could or I couldn't, but I would take the job anyway, because that definitely happened at in various times. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's. I, I don't think it was necessarily always like, you know, I've got, I felt like I had something to prove, but um, there was a lot of great experiences where I got to work with really good musicians. And I think when you kind of walk into the situation where you walk into a situation and you're the weak link, you are, have the most to learn. Like you, and you, you gain the most, right? You don't, you're never learning. You never learn the same if you walk into a situation into the band and you're the best guy in the, on stage, right? But if you're the you're not the best guy on stage, then you've got a lot to learn. And I and and I I did, you know, I I, I really wanted to learn, and I never really looked at it. And again, I don't know if this was a benefit or a detriment, but I never looked at the fact that I played the fiddle as it wasn't about the instrument so much. It was just about being a musician. So a lot of the people that I would talk to and try to learn from weren't necessarily other fiddle players. In fact, there was a point where I realized that I, you know, I don't want to just play fiddle tunes. You know, I like it. I love that music and I grew up to that music, but I don't want to just do that. I want to play with other musicians. I kind of got hooked on that interaction between other musicians on stage. And uh, 
I remember taking a gig, you know, just as I was starting to really figure out, you know, the art of improvisation and, and that sort of thing. Um, because again, if you grow up playing classical music, you're almost never asked to do that. And if you grow up playing fiddle music, you do, you learn tunes, you do some variations, but not in, not in Canada anyway, in the U S they do, but not here. And, uh, but I got called to do this gig and then this guy, I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I took all the songs and I lifted every solo off of every song, you know, it was like, and it was a, you know, a bar gig. So it was like 50, 60 tunes in, in the night. And, uh, and I lifted everything note for note, um, which was just a great lesson in itself. But then the first night we played about three songs in, I played the solo off the record and the guy turned to me and went, yeah, man, that was great. Take another one. I was like, Oh shit. Like, no, you know what, now what? And, uh, and so that was a, you know, that was an eye opening moment. I was like, yeah, you know, I have to, I have to really be ready for anything like, you know, just because they told me what songs we we're going to do, that doesn't mean that's how it's going to happen on stage. And uh, and I, I I got to really love that. In fact, I loved playing gigs where it wasn't super structured in the sense that you weren't really sure what was going to happen. And and I ended up playing with, there were some guys that I, I play with, that, you know, I think a guy like Fred Hale and, and Paul Weaver where I would be playing um, with these guys. And they never told me what they were going to play. Not even in the, like, not even the second they were about to start. They just start playing and I'd be like, okay, I know what this is. And, you know, and like, it's in, okay. And you'd be like, get the key, you get the this. And he'd be like, okay, you're in and, and go. And, and like being able to do that as a fiddle player, I think opened a lot of doors for me. So, whereas, you know, maybe I wasn't the guy that was going to win the fiddle contest in that world. Like there's a lot of guys that could have beat me in a fiddle contest but to throw me in a bandstand and I could, I could figure it out really fast and be, and be able to do the job. And uh, whereas a lot of guys didn't have that kind of experience and didn't. So I think it opened a lot of doors for me um, to get different opportunities. And so, so it begs the question when, when, when the guy said, okay, do another, um, <laughs> what did you do? Sorry, even before that, to learn X number of songs for that night and steal or lift the the <laughs> solos, um, was that a difficult thing to just listen to and go, yeah, I got it. I know what that solo is and I can do it, to actually be able to do that for 60 songs and then also be told, no, you got to go more or further with that solo. I, I don't understand. Like both of those concepts I find mind boggling. <laughs> well, I think... I grew up playing a style of music that was steeped in oral tradition, right? So people, you would learn tunes, like, you know, even now, like I have people that come to me to, to learn. And, you know, if I'm giving a lesson, it's like, it's amazing. You could, you could see, you could buy 10 books of transcribed fiddle music. You can find the same tune in all 10 books and not one of them would be exactly the same. Right. You'd recognize it as the same thing, right. as the same tune. You'd know the name. I was like, okay, yeah, I recognize the tune, but it's not written out exactly the same. Whereas in classical music, right, if it, if Bach wrote it 200 years ago, that's the way you play it now. Nobody changes that. Um, you know, God help you if you do. But um, so, so I was used to picking things up by ear. So to say, hey, you got to learn all these songs and you got to lift these solos. 
it was time consuming and I've definitely got a lot quicker at it over the years. You know, I think the more you, the more you do that, um, and the more you get put in situations where whether or not you're lifting, but if it's a session and it's like, you're walking in, you're hearing the song for the first time and, you know, and then you're going to go in a booth and record it forever. <laughs> you know, you, you got to be able to pick those things up pretty quick. So, you know, learning all those tunes was, was one thing. I think when he asked me to keep going, that's that was a little tougher at the time but now that's the thing that i'm you know i love the most but where you know initially at the time i think what i did was i i tried to just do a variation of what i had done so i would sort of weave my way through a the melody that i had played but stray out of it and come back to it but not go wander too far you know or i'd or i'd lose where i was um and then after that you know i would just go and uh, it's funny, I have people ask me, you know, to teach them how to do this now. And I always just say, you know, nobody, I nobody taught me how to improvise on, on a fiddle. You know, it was more, I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And I would put on albums and I would play along to the album, you know, and just to, and then I started, but it wasn't until years later when people asked me, um, you know, what are you, uh, how do you do that? And I like, I don't know. And I have to go back and analyze my own playing and realize that, you know, I started to, you know, you're just listening for chord changes and you're, and you're following those changes and then you're navigating through those, you know, and you, you know, like uh, guitar players, you discover a bunch of licks that you like, you know, and that's all through trial and error or you, or you took it from somebody else and you stitch it together, but it's, all different ways, you know, and then there's just the ultimate way of improvising where you just hear some, you know, whatever's in your head comes out of your instrument instantly, um, which is sort of the, the purest form. But I think all of those things, your variations and mimicking other people and, and stealing licks from other people and stitching them together in a different way, all sort of combines into, uh, into doing that. So it, but it's really fun. How long did it take for you to feel really comfortable doing that? It came reasonably quickly. I mean, I should say it came reasonably quickly if I in the situation where I was playing those songs on a regular basis. So in that band, it came pretty quickly because I was playing with those guys a lot. And and it was a scenario where, you know, I could be a little fearless in the sense that if it did, you know, if I, you know, if I went for something and it didn't work, the band leader in that band was like, you didn't care, you know. He wasn't going to turn around and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> he was like, you know, he was just like, yeah, go again, take another one. Um, you know, he loved it. So, you know, that kind of encouragement, uh, I think, goes a long way as well. But uh, there were always times, though, where you'd sort of you'd get thrown into a situation and be like, oh, yeah, no problem. And then you would get there and be like, well, well, this is a this is a whole nother level. And now. It's, now I have to go back and, and go back to the drawing board and how do I navigate this because I've never done anything quite like this and this isn't the same type of thing. And so I think I would just get put in situations where, you know, I try to put myself in uncomfortable situations sometimes where it's like, okay, you know, like I said, okay, can you do this? Sure. <laughs> Man, I don't know. We're going to find out when I get there. And, uh, you know, and if it didn't go as well as I hoped then that would be that would be my focus 
so make sure that the next time I showed up to do that, that it would go as well as I hoped. And, and then are you hard on yourself when it doesn't go as well as you'd hoped? Or, I mean, how do you, how do you I react mean, to something like that? Less so now, I find. Like, I, I think as, as the older you get and the more mature you get as a player and more experience you get as a player, you start to realize that, you know, like it used to be when you're young, you know, you know, you flub a solo, it can ruin your whole night, you know, but now I'm like, it's like every, that happens to everyone at some point in time, always. It doesn't matter how good they are, is everyone has, you know, has that moment. And it's really more about how you navigate your way out of it that, um, than anything else. That's half the challenge is that, um, you know, when things don't go right or things don't go like you expect, um, how do you weave your way out of that? Because after after many many years of being on stage, and yeah, I was. I'm, I mean, I still am hard on myself for sure, but uh, very hard on myself if I didn't feel it went well. But then you would go back and you would hear a record. You know, we kind of hit the point where everything was recorded, right? In my younger days, nothing was recorded. So if you made a mistake, it was just gone into the ether, and you you know, on to the next gig. But Oh, now in today's day and age, everything, you know, every note you play, somebody's recorded it or taken a video of it or whatever. And so it's like, that's a lot of pressure because then you're like, oh man, if I, if I blow this it's on the internet forever. And, uh, <clears throat> but I also started to realize that, you know, I'd go back and I'd be like, oh man, that was so brutal, you know, but then I torture myself looking for that video or that audio clip because I knew it was there. And then I'd hear it and it'd be like, sometimes I couldn't even hear it happen. Like, it's just one of those things. Like when you're playing music, it's kind of like they describe people, you know, when they're in an accident and they said, everything slows down and things are flying by and, you know, and it's sort of like that a little bit when you're playing music, especially if you're, you know, you're kind, I don't want to say flying by the seat of your pants, but you're, you know, it's not something you've played a million times before and you are, you're creating something in the moment everything sort of slows down. And so what seems like this eternity, if something goes wrong in the moment is a second, if that in reality. And so you hear those come back and then I'm like, man, I can't even hear the mistake that I know that I made at the time. So, you know, that I was so upset about that it ruined my whole night. So you kind of, so you, you learn to, you know, just understand that, yeah, you know, I think doing sessions helps that too. You know, I used to go into a session. If I didn't get it on the first take, I'd just be mortified with myself. And I mean, you know, until I would watch like great, you know, fantastic musicians go in and be like, yeah, you know what, give me that again. Or, you know, I want the back half of that or whatever. Um, you know, and then you realize that, oh yeah, it's like, it's music. And, and you just have to, you know, sometimes you got to go for it. And sometimes when you go for it, it doesn't always go the way you want. But if you play it safe, if you play it safe all the time, then you don't get anything new. How did the session work start? Um, well, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things. The music world is just—it's a very small, really. Like everybody knows everybody, and so once you kind of get out playing, um, you know, you meet a lot of people that you bump into a lot in the same scenarios, and then there was. You know, initially it would just be local studios. I mean, I did sessions 
you know, back in the day when we were recording stuff, family band, I did the, did those recordings, but, um, but then I'm trying to think, I don't know what the first session would have been that I got called to do that was something that was for somebody else that I didn't know, but it was probably at Cedar tree with Rick Hutt, which is a studio in town here. And, uh, and, you know, I think just going in and I think a guy like Rick was a great guy to do that with because Rick is one of those people that he's, you know, he's not the, okay, we're going to get this done in 30 minutes, you know, so I got something happening. It's like, Rick likes to take his time. He likes to, so, you know, if, and so he was a great guy to learn from. He had, he was always very, um, I don't know, it's like, it was like having a lesson every time you went to do a session for Rick and still is. It's like, he's got so much knowledge about that kind of thing so and he'd always tell you a story about some other player that you know something that happened or, or something that happened on the session that was maybe before you were there and and so it was very relaxed and you just sort of go in and, and you do it and I guess if you do a good job you know people eventually hear it and they're like who played on that and then you know yes oh, okay great you know I, I want to get that guy to play on my session or I think even more so what happens is once you start playing a gig with people that they know or that they maybe hear on the radio and, you know, then, you know, they see you playing a show with somebody that maybe is a little more high profile, then they'll be like, I want that guy to play on my record because he plays with, because of who he plays with as much as anything else. Uh, and uh, so, you know, but again, I don't think you'd get more session work if you didn't do a good job of the sessions that you were doing, but, it just becomes a small world where there's not a lot of guys either that I think in as fiddlers, there's only so many guys that are, are, are kind of good at that. So again, there's lots of great fiddle players and that's what I try to teach. You know, I, I, I students that I'm like, you know, if you want to work, you know, learn how to do this because there's not as many people that can do it. And so if you're a guy that can come in and, and they throw a number chart in front of you and you can navigate it because, you know, it, and you don't need them to write out what you're, you know, what, what they want you to play, then uh, you're going to work. And so I think I just, I got lucky and, and fell into one of those spots. Um, I, I wonder if it's luck though. I mean, having done a lot of interviews and talked to a lot of great musicians, I, I, I realized that there is timing and there's luck involved, but, you know, I think the skill and, there's something to be said that you you came there with talent and, and maybe it was just more of a timing thing than a luck thing. Maybe, maybe, you know, and I think as, a, as when you're playing sessions too, I think the other thing that I, I had to learn, but I learned quickly is that, you know, of course when you go in to do the session, especially if it's for with a producer you've never worked with before, or an artist you've never worked with before, right? You want to go and blow their socks off. Right. And so, you go in and you're like, you know, you're just like shredding. And then it's like, and then, you know, but that's often not what they need you to do. Right. So they mean the real skill is going in and listening to the song and going, what does it need? What does it need from me? What do I need to do to make this song better? Not what do I need to do to make myself look great? And that, I think learning that lesson probably got me as more work than anything. So knowing when not to play is, is just as important as knowing when and what to play. You've worked with some amazing people, not only in the country world, but 
in in blues and rock and whatever what is it what is it that you bring to the table that allows you that flexibility and also allows you the opportunity to work with a colin james or richard marks or dean brody or george canyon i think there's a, a few things i i think and i and i'll tell this to anybody that's looking to get into into doing that sort of thing um when is it you know you hit the nail on the head is like flexibility right like can you again walk into that scenario and be like okay i play the fiddle and maybe fiddle isn't the typical thing that happens in this but what role do i what role am i going to play here and what am i going to do to make this you know the best possible most musical thing that it can be and so i think if you can walk in and be open you know i think you know you got to leave your ego at the door and and you know especially when you're working with artists it's like you know it's their music they wrote that music it's it's very important to them you know so if they have an idea you know it's definitely worth listening to and and taking you know taking account of it i think the other thing as i said earlier is that i you know i always wanted to learn more about just being a musician than being a fiddle player so it didn't necessarily matter what kind of music it was and it didn't necessarily matter you know what who I was learning from, if they necessarily played the fiddle or not. Um, <clears throat> so I, I'm kind of, I'm a weird fiddler in that way that I, you know, I know a lot of different things in the sense that I, you know, I don't just play fiddle tunes and there's probably, there's lots of fiddlers out there that know more tunes than I do because I don't sit and play those types of, you know, settings all the time. I can, and I do, but, um, but I, you know, I'll also get called to play, you know, in a band that will play, maybe they'll play country tunes, maybe they'll play Celtic tunes, maybe they'll play rock tunes, you know, uh, maybe it'll be a jazz gig. Maybe it'll, you know, it's like everything. I, I just will, I'll take, I'll do anything, you know, I, you know, I'll give it a shot at the very least. Um, and so I, I think that kind of flexibility um, is what's made that, those type of opportunities possible. So I kind of walked in and, and found a way to, to fit. Did you know what you wanted to achieve with, with that chip on your shoulder, whether that be the motivating factor or not, when you said, okay, I'm going to do music? Did you have an idea of what that necessarily meant when you first started out? And then did that goal change as you went along? Oh, it changes constantly, right? Because, I mean, when you start out, you don't really have any idea of what it really means to be a musician you know, you just, you know, like for me as a kid growing up, it's like, you know, well, you watch MTV or whatever. And it's like, well, that's what that's being a musician must be right. It's like tour buses and, and uh, you know, and, and just like parties and this and that, you know, that's, you know, it looks amazing. And it's like, but I mean, that is, yes, that does happen. Right. And there are, there are tours where you get to, you're riding in a bus or you're flying or whatever. But I mean, I, you know, you'll, you always play the biggest show of your life is always followed by one of the smallest in this business. And it doesn't seem to matter what level you get to. I don't think it's just, you know, you'll go, if you're a musician, you're a musician and you're going to, you know, you're going to be playing. And so I, I've had that experience where you go and it's like, wow, I just played in front of, you know, 40, 50,000 people. And the next day, I played in front of eight, right? And 
and it didn't each gig has had merit in its own way right but as far as goals i think yeah i mean initially i just was like yeah man, i think i'd like to play music i like i said i would look at the guys that you know were coming to play with us and i'd hear the stories about the gigs that they were doing and sometimes i'd know who they were talking about and sometimes i didn't um but I, you know it just sounded like it's you know, sort of magical. I was like, oh my gosh, these guys are traveling and they're playing these shows and it sounds like it's such a good time. I want to do that. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's like, okay, now I, I'm going to play, the, you know, I want to play these, these club dates, you know, and, and, and I, and I just wanted to, you know, I had a couple of really great bands that I was playing in and I, and I loved it. I just wanted to play in those bands all the time because they were really good and the musicians were great and there was lots of, you know, great musical conversation on stage. And so I, I love that. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. But then, you know, I'd see a couple of guys that'd be off playing these recording artist gigs. And then I was my goal. I was like, you know, I'd like to do one of those gigs sometime. And then eventually I did. And then it was, you know, now I'm playing with, you know, maybe a recording artist and I hear about people getting nominated for, country music awards for as musicians and i'd be like well you know that'd be cool man one day i'd like to win one of those awards you know that'd be cool all right and then you win one and then you're like yeah i want to win all of them i don't (laughs) want to just win one i want to win the max is how many you know and that's and so then that becomes the goal right and then it's like oh i wanted to play you know so or it's like i wanted to play this venue and then you play that venue and it's like okay now i want to play you know so whatever, it's like, I want to, you know, you're starting out, it's like, I want to play the Stampede Ranch. And it's like, okay, then you play the Stampede Ranch. Now I want to play, you know, this such and such as a theater. Oh, you play that theater. And so now I want to play, you know, it just keeps going up and up. And now I want to play the Saddle Dome. Now I want to play, you know, now I want to play the Opry. Now you just, you just keep putting a goal in front of yourself and, and hope that, uh, hope you can hit it. I know it's a moving target, but was there a moment early on when you thought you had made it? I don't know that I still, I don't know that I think that yet. To be honest, it's like, I I feel a lot, I feel very, how do I word this? I'm at a point in my career where I feel very comfortable as a musician. Like I feel, I, I have a little bit more confidence in the fact that when I walk into the room, I feel like I, I can go in and I can do a good job. And, and, um, and I, and I, and I'm not as nervous around other, other musicians and, and, and artists, you know, because I, you know, I feel like I'm a bit more on a, on a level playing field, but as far as, you know, there's, have I made it? I don't know. I'm still doing it. So I guess that's a, you know, I'm, I'm still here. And I mean, sometimes that's it. Last man standing is almost sometimes this, this, you know, you see them, you see a lot of people come in and and, and leave, right? And not everybody stays being a musician, and and for good reasons in many cases. I mean, sometimes people come and go because it's just not the thing that they were meant to do. But some people are great musicians and they don't continue doing it because it's it's hard. You know, it's not it's not an easy life necessarily. Um, and the, you know, and it the, the the world is set up in a way that does not make it easier to to uh, 
to survive in this business, especially right now, especially in the age of streaming and in the, you know, post COVID and all, you know, it's been quite a few, you know, interesting few years for anybody that works in the music industry. So, yeah, I think if, if you want to be here and you're still here, then I, then I guess, yeah, I guess you're, you've made it <laughs> or at least you've made, I've made it to today and we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, and I, I have things I'm always looking forward to. So that is always good. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know the, the idea of making it. I don't know. I don't know if I have made it, but I'm still, I'm still working at it. <laughs> Maybe I didn't phrase it correctly. I mean, there must've been many times in your, musical journey that you thought i can't believe i'm doing this in oh, front of all these people so many you know and and i think oh yeah like i can think of several instances um where that happened i mean the first time i got to play on television it's like wow that's pretty cool um you know i was like wow i can't believe this and what a what a different bizarre the scenario that is when you're doing it and you see how it works and um i you know i have this band called the western swing authority the reason i that band started is because you know, we play a kind of music called western swing which is this hybrid of country and blues and jazz and and, and big band swing and and uh i always loved bands like asleep at the wheel and the time jumpers and but i was always lamenting about how there was no bands like that up here in canada and it was such a pain, you know, I was like, man, I'd love to play in a band like that. You know, it's never, nobody ever plays that stuff up here. And, uh, you know, it was my wife that finally one day went, well, why don't you just make one then? I'm like, quit complaining about it and make one. And, and so I did. And, uh, you know, and that was been going for over 13 years. And, uh, and that, you know, there are scenarios that have happened with that. So like, I remember going, we played a gig in Austin at the Paramount Theater in Austin, and Ray Benson was there, and I was standing talking to Ray Benson from Asleep at the Wheel, and I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I've listened to this guy since I was 15 years old, you know, and idolized him, and we're just standing here having a conversation. So, yes, definitely there are moments where it just becomes very surreal. Um, meeting the guys that you listened to and lifted off all those records all those years ago and you're lifting all those solos and then you get to sit down and actually talk with those guys and, and hear them talk about the gig that they were doing and it's like that's pretty that's pretty surreal right so when you started the western swing authority saying that you know nobody else is doing it in canada uh, and then you had a house gig for like seven years did did you expect or did you foresee the possibilities or was it really just the love of that music that you had that you wanted to do it it wasn't all about who you would meet or what you would accomplish oh there was zero expectations like zero i mean we you know stacy said those words to me it's like well you know if you want to do it you're just gonna to have to make one and uh and so that night i sent out a message to um, a bunch of guys and said hey you know i got this idea I think it would be kind of cool. And I just, guys that I thought would be into it. And everybody came back to me immediately and was like, yeah, let's do it. Where are we going to play? And so I had that idea in my head as well. There's a guy named Paul Weber who owned a, well, he still owns it, but it's no longer opening anymore. But 
um, a place called the Commercial Tavern in Maryhill. And uh, I said, that's the place. I'm going to talk to Paul. And so I just said, Paul, you know, can we come in? We'll do an off night, um, you know, a weekday. And we'll do, you know, we're going to play twice a month. And this is what we're going to do. And he's like, yeah, sure. Come on. And I'm not kidding when I say when the first gig we played in that band, we had all not been in the same room at the same time until we walked on stage to play the first gig. So it was, we just made a, a list of tunes. Let's do this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And, uh, and I knew everybody and had worked with everybody in different scenarios. But that band as a whole had never actually all sat in the same room until we walked on stage to play that first gig, um, which in hindsight is insane. I can't believe we did that. It didn't even get together once, but we did. And, uh, and we just, we just, like you said, it was for the love of that music. It's like, let's play all these tunes that nobody ever plays or we'd ever get the opportunity to play. And, uh, and so that's what we did. And then what a year in, somebody offered up a studio space and said, why don't you just come in and see what happens? So we went in and, and for an afternoon, I think we ordered a pizza and we played a dozen tunes over the span of maybe four hours and hung out and, and then left it and didn't do anything with it. And then months later, we was like, oh, we should go back and listen to that. And, uh, and that ended up being our first record. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, which is crazy to think, but, it, you know, but, and then we did that and we never really thought anything. It was like, well, it's great. We'll have this record and we'll, you know, we'll sell it off stage. And we're just a bunch of uh, traditional covers. And, and, uh, and then some guy picked it up and, and all of a sudden I get this call and says, yeah, we're playing your, you're playing your album on such, such a station in Texas. I was like, really? <laughs> okay. He's like, yeah. Would you guys? Would you? Would you do an interview? And I was like, okay, sure. Uh, why not? Right. And then it's like, and you know, that was a really uh, you know an awkward interview because one of the first thing he said is, "Well, the name of your band is the Western Swing Authority. Do you consider yourself an authority <laughs> on this music?" And I'm like, oh God, what have I done? Um, you know, but. Uh, and then, yeah, again, it's sort of one of those things. It's like, well, that was cool. You know, we're playing this game. We made a band. This is great. And we're having a great time playing. And it's like, let's record. Hey, that turned out okay. Hey, we made a record. That was cool. And then the next thing is like, hey, let's make another record. But let's do it maybe a little bit more serious. And maybe let's write a couple tunes instead of just doing all covers. And so then that was, that was the moving target. And then we did that. Then the next album had more original songs than had... Um, then had covers and it was like, and, and Hey, you know, we got, you know, we got an opportunity to work with a record label and it's like, well, we've never done that before. Like, well, why not? We'll try that. And it's sort of just sort of, again, moving targets and then different opportunities. And then the next thing you know, you're standing in backstage at the Paramount theater talking to Ray Benson and <laughs> thinking, well, how did this happen? This doesn't even make sense. Um, because it's, because it's never been a thing where there's been huge expectations from it. And, you know, if it was the only thing I ever did musically, I don't think we'd be able to survive on it alone. Right. Everybody in the band is, is a musician and they're doing sessions and they're doing other gigs and they're, 
Which is also an important part. I mean, this isn't just a bunch of guys getting together who just fiddle around with instruments. I mean, these are top-notch musicians. All these guys, yeah. Like not all not the guys. to say that that guarantees success or a successful nope. band, but these nope, are could, great musicians. It could go the other way. It could totally go the other way. You know, with that's a lot of strong personalities. But it's a. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. Like everybody was already a great musician in their own right. Had very successful careers. Uh, you know, some iconic. I mean, I think of a guy like Pee Wee. Um, you know played with Lightfoot for 16 years and played on all those records. I mean, he's played everywhere there is to play. Um, you know, every major venue from Carnegie Hall to the Hollywood Bowl, right? It, mm-hmm. Yet here he's playing at the Commercial Tavern, you know, with us on a Tuesday night. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's uh, so, yeah, a great, a great bunch of players and good, good bunch of personalities. Like, again, these are all people that um, I'd worked with in some capacity before. And I think, you know, going back to talking about, you know, how do people succeed in this business? Well, I mean, yes, you do have to be good at what you do, but I think also you have to be, you have to be somebody that people don't mind hanging out with. You know, if you're going to live on a bus for six weeks with somebody, Mm -hmm. you better be able to get along with them, you know? And so I've seen lots of scenarios where the best musician didn't necessarily get the call because they weren't the best um personality fit so but anyways i digress i'm going off course but uh but do you do you think maybe because everybody's busy and because everybody's doing their own studio work or whatever that that maybe prevents the band from going further uh i think it does one of two i think it does both i think it's tougher. I think if, you know, it's always been a slow, a slow burn with the, with Western Swing Authority, where we started with zero expectations and little things just kept happening and kept happening. And then, and good opportunities would come, but then it would, you know, it's never been this thing where like, well, this one thing happened and then skyrocket to, you know, whatever, you know, and I, I don't know that it ever will be. And is that because everybody's busy doing other things and not necessarily pouring everything into that, putting it all their eggs in that basket. Maybe, but I, I wonder that, you know, the fact that everyone is still doing all these other things. I mean, we always used to call it therapy night where we get to the gig and it'd be like, Hey, we can just do whatever we want. You know, like this is, this is, this is total freedom when, you know, musically um, compared to anything else we're doing, you know, because this is ours. So we can do, whatever, whatever we want. Nobody's telling us what to do or how to do it. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of, you know, so a lot of freedom in that. And I, I think it makes everybody want to keep doing it because, you know, for that reason, it's, it's like, you know, we'll come together and it's like every time, you know, if we haven't played in a little while and then we play a gig, everyone's like, Oh yes, that was, you know, that felt so good. Let's, you know, when's the next one coming there? Oh, I hope that, you know, what's the next gig that's coming up so i don't know that it i think it's right where it needs to be you know it's still growing it's still moving up and again we've had just these really crazy experiences one time we got called one time so the uh, there's a fiddle player named by the name of jimmy mattingly and um he plays with garth brooks which of course is about as big a gig as you're ever going to have and uh we met jimmy stacy played a gig with jimmy uh, um with a bluegrass artist 
uh, years prior and then, and then got to be friends and, and he had, he had been using her for some sessions and, and out of the blue, he calls one day and he's like, Hey, I got a gig for you. I think it'd be really good for you to do it if you could, but it's kind of last minute. I was like, okay, well, what are you thinking? He goes, well, so Garth's manager, Bob Doyle is they're having, he's having his 70th birthday or something like that. And, uh, he said, and they want to throw a party for him and he loves Western swing music. So they called the time jumpers, but they can't do it. So they're trying to figure out what band they should get. And I told them they should get you. And I thought in my mind, I'm like, holy crap. And he said, yeah, it'll be great. And he's like, everybody will be there, you know, and Garth will be there and Trisha Yearwood will be there. And all the, everybody who's anybody in Nashville will be there. You should totally do this gig if you can, but it's, it's like 10 days from now. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, holy crap, how are we even getting across the border in 10 days? We're not going to get a visa in 10 days. Like, there's no way. But again, it's one of those scenarios. I just looked at Stacey and she looked at me and I said, yes, yes, <laughs> we'll do it. And I'll just figure it out after the fact. So, and the, and the, that's exactly what we did. You know, I, I called the union office and I'm like, look, at I, I know even with an expedited visa, I don't know how we're going to get around this and how are we going to do it? And, uh, you know, I guess, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can tell this story or not in its entirety, but, uh, you know, I, at one point I was talking to this lady and I get this lady at the, the AF of M uh, office in Toronto and I'm telling her, look, you know, this is what we've been called to do and I really want to do it, but, you know, we have like no time to pull this together. How, you know, what's our best option? And she's like, oh, what kind of band? Do, you know, what, is, what do you play? And I tell her Western Swing, which most people are like, what's Western Swing? But she goes, oh, my God, Asleep with the Wheels, my favorite band. I love Western <laughs> Swing. And I'm like, yes, yes. And she, you know, she moved to heaven and earth, really. To kind of, she's, like, she's like, okay, well, there's got to be a way. We're going to make this happen. We're going to make this happen. And we went and played the gig. And it was, I mean, totally surreal. As a guy that grew up listening to country music, you know, and then I'm standing on stage and we're playing with our band and all the people that I listen to and whose songs I covered playing in the bars are standing in the audience listening to us. And they were an awesome audience because they totally got it. Like they knew the music and they, it was, it was epic, but it was not without its, um, I remember we were like partway through one set and the PA just dies. <laughs> But once and again, us, you have a crowd that understands things like that. And so, yeah, so look out. It's with Steve Warner's looking at me. He's mouthing the words. He goes, can't hear your voices anymore. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. So I jump off stage and I run back to the board. And in the meantime, Stacy turns around and he yells at the guys in the band. Because, again, this is a private party with a bunch of natural elites. So it's not a huge room. So she's like, play an instrumental. Because at least they'll be able to hear you. And so they, they, you know, again, the, the merits of being in a band together for years and years, it's like, you just like, do this, boom, and everybody falls in and plays it. And I run back to the board. I'm like, what's going on? And this guy at the board's like, I don't know. I think, I think somebody unplugged something and uh, somebody over there unplugged something. And I don't, you know, and I'm afraid to turn it back on because I don't know what's going to happen when I do. It might make a big pop or whatever. I was like, I don't care what it does. Turn it back on. And. Anyways, two songs later, we're back up and running and, and play the rest of the night. But, you know, that kind of situation is, I still look back at that. And I, you know, after that, I was like, 
you know, you have that moment where you're like, oh man, well now that we've done that, all these opportunities are going to come. And then, you know, it's like, and there were, there was definitely good things that came of it, but I mean, it did, it did not skyrocket us to stardom and, and nor should it have, that's not what it was supposed to be, but it, uh, it, it's just interesting, you know, with this band, I think, like I said, I think we're, we're kind of right where we, right where we're supposed to be. And, uh, and it's still just sort of slowly creeping, creeping, creeping up, creeping up and, and all the right people, all the people, I guess for me, the thing for me is that the people that I have kind of idolized and respected in, in that style of music, especially, they all know who we are, which to me is we've over they, yeah, they, then we've made it <laughs> it's yeah. sort of in that world. It's like, to me, that's, you know, it's kind of one of the coolest things I, of my career is to have that happen. So what's even cooler, if I'm not mistaken, is that the Time Jumpers, who are the band who couldn't make that gig, are they not the reason in some way, in some weird way, that your band is yes. together? I mean, were you not yes. watching the Time Jumpers DVD? It's when exactly you... that. Yes, exactly. I was watching. So a friend of mine, again, like I said, Asleep at the Wheel, it's been my favorite band forever. I love Western Swing Music friend of mine brought this dvd of a pbs special that they had done on the time jumpers and uh, at the time i didn't know who they were and he gave me so i think you're gonna really like this you should and i became obsessed with it like i just watched it to death and uh and yeah that was that's exactly what i was watching and that's when i was commiserating about the fact that there were no bands that do this thing and and that's when stacy said yeah you should you should uh you should just make make one and so yeah, you're right. It's it is pretty wild that that was yeah. the band that couldn't make it, and so that's why we were there. And uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. Stacy and I went went to Nashville one time just to hang out, and we were going to go see them. That was one of the big parts of our trip. And uh, and so I I sent a message to Andy Reese, who's the guitar player, and I just on a whim. I didn't I don't know him. I didn't know him, but I just sent a message on Facebook and said, hey. I'm looking on the schedule. I just want to make sure you guys are going to be at Third and Lindsley when we get there because, you know, that's a big part of where we're going to is to see you guys play. So, you know, it, you know, and he got back to me. He's like, oh, yeah, we're going to be there. They just, you know, the only time we're not going to be there would, would be Christmas and New Year's. And I was like, okay, great. And then, thank you. And then the next message he sent to me goes, aren't you in the Western Swing Authority? And my jaw just dropped and I was like, come on like for real and i was like yeah i am he goes yeah man i really love your band and i was just like on cloud nine for a week after that and so we did go see them and they ended up getting stacy up to sing and it was like you know again one of those surreal scenarios where this is the band that i had been obsessed with when we started this group and then fast forward however many years and i'm sitting backstage and talking to them and hanging out with them and they're pulling stacy up to sing a song in the next set it's like crazy, right? Like those are, this is kind of some of the, the, the best things about doing this, I think, for a living is, is having those moments, which don't happen a lot, but when they do, it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is pretty awesome. I do want to ask about um, playing in front of UN soldiers at Kandahar. Yeah. So obviously Man. another example, but I but I don't know how one approaches something like that because it's it's music it's it's an honor you're playing in front of soldiers who are who are protecting another nation but 
you yeah. know, you're risking your life. It's, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was a very, I have a picture on my wall. I'm looking, I can see it right now. It's a picture of us at the air Kandahar airfield base. Um, so at the time I had been playing with George, I just started playing with George Canyon and, uh, and I'd been touring with him and that was one of my first major touring gigs and he toured a lot. We played a lot of shows and, uh, it was great. And he did tons of, you know, like a lot of first experiences I, I got playing with George. It was a major boost in my career, um, playing with him because it put me in front of a lot of people that I had never met before. And, uh, so I think I must have maybe been with him a year maybe. And, uh, and he called me and he says, Hey, so, uh, I want to ask you about something. He says, and you know, if, I, I want to kind of see how you feel about it. Cause he says, you know, I don't want you to do it if you don't want to do it, but you know, I've been contacted by so-and-so who was the, I don't remember the guy's name, but he said, and they want us to go and play Canada day in Kandahar for the troops. And of course, this is right in the middle of, of the war that's happening there. And, um, I think it was 2008, maybe. And uh, he says, you know, but, you know, this is the scenario and this is what it'll be. And, you know, so, you, you know, maybe you want to talk to Stacy about it because, you know, right at this point, our, you know, I have a one-year-old daughter. Our first child is born. And and uh, so I talked to Stacy and I said, you know, George asked me about doing this thing. And I, I think I really want to do it. Like, I think it would be an amazing experience. It's, a, you know, maybe a little nervous about it, but I, I think it would be, you know, they they're telling us it's, it's going to be reasonably safe and, you know, I'd like to do it. And she said, you know, I think you should do it. And, uh, and I'm so glad I did. It was like one of the, one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had, I think playing music for, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, just going there was, you know, it, not a lot of people get to go and see what we got to see. So that was, that was pretty interesting, but the people that you met, and again, when you, when you watch the news and you see these things on TV and you and you see what's happening via the television from home in that scenario, and then when you go there and you kind of see what's going on, it's it's a very different perspective, and it really changed a lot of the ways that I felt about people that are, are working in those situations, and then you know I just had a whole new level of respect for for people that were there and. Um, and what they were sacrificing to be there and for, and the reasons for why they were there, because the reasons for why, you know, individually these people are there is really, they just like, you know, I, I do this job cause I want to help people. And, and then they take you and they, sh you know, here's, here's what we're doing to try and help, to help people. So we go, we, you know, when you get there and first we went to, uh, was called Camp Barrage, which was supposed to be the secret base, which I don't think was much of a secret, but um, played a show there. And then they fly you in on these, on these um, Hercules planes. And you have to do the evasive flying when you go in and it's like you're up and down and all over the place. And, you know, and things are floating. Anything that isn't tied down is just floating sometimes in Penny because there's no gravity. And, uh, and we get there and they're like, okay, here's your helmet. Here's your flak vest. Here, you know, it's a bazillion degrees. Um, I think it was 56 degrees Celsius when we landed, oh. when we got there. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, now, and then they debrief you and they're like, okay, so here's, here's what could potentially happen. Keep this stuff with you at all times. If this happens, this is what you do. 
blah, 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 blah. Well, sure enough, the night that we play, it's Canada Day. And uh, it just is they're announcing us. We had gone on to, you know, we had sound checked that afternoon. I actually had to sound check in the shade because one of the strings on my fiddle melted. It was so hot. It just melted my E string. And I was like, as so I had to take the string off and then restring it and sit in the shade because it was so hot, the strings were melting. On wow. So we're just about to walk on stage that night. And, uh, and just as we're, they're announcing us. He's like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, here he is Canada day concert, George can. And just as that year, and three or four rockets hit the airfield just on the other side of the fence from us. And, uh, sirens go off and everything, you know, and we're like, the MPs are yelling, get down, get down. <laughs> so you're like, get your helmet and you're sitting down. And that's the one point in the trip where I was like, maybe this was a bad idea. But, uh, you know, and then they, you know, they'd already told us, okay, if that happens, you know, you get down and when they give you the clear, you get to a bunker and you stay there. And, uh, so, so, so there's no warning beforehand. It's not like there's something coming in. <laughs> like you no, realize you, you heard it hit the airfield. That's not that's good. that was it. It's just like boom, 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 boom. just like thud, 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 you know, and uh, yeah. So then we're but the funny thing is like we're running like crazy. Like we're giving it all we got in these vests, and you know, we've got our helmet and our vests on. All the soldiers, right? This is like nothing to them. The news, like they're just walking along, having a smoke. Oh man, now I'm probably going to miss half the concert because by the time they get started, I'm going to have shift and all right. And there's like. You know, it's so nonchalant to them, even though we're, you know, running like crazy for this bunker. Anyways, we, we were in the bunker for, I don't know how long we were under there. And then, and you look in, in the bunker, you could see signatures from all the other bands that have been there that had had the same thing happen. And so they signed the inside of the bunker. So we signed the inside of the bunker. And then when it finished, the guy's like, well, do you guys want to go play the show? Are you okay? And we're like, yeah, we want to play the show. And so we went back out and. We wow. played the show and it was great. And then the next night we did a jam with a bunch of the Canadian soldiers where we sat outside one of the living quarters and, and we just played tunes. Anybody that had an instrument and we we played songs and, and kind of got to hang out and talk with those people. And it was, it was a fantastic experience. Really good. Wow. Okay. So I know I need to wrap this up, but I want to ask you one more thing about your Absolutely. teaching. So mm-hmm. you're back teaching at Laurier. You got your degree. They told you there's no future in your what you're doing, and then you go back. Yeah, I know it's it's kind of it makes me giggle every time I think of it. Actually, every time I get a every time I get a pay you know a payment from Wilfrid Laurier, I kind of have to laugh. Is that person I, still there? What's it? No, they're not. I wish. I, well, I mean, I don't. I I shouldn't say that. I kind of wish they were still there, just so that I could bump into them all. But no, they're they're not. They're not there anymore. So. Uh, and the people that are there are great. I, I have, you know, certainly uh, no no issues there. And uh, it, but it, yeah, that is kind of surreal. Uh, I, you know, but it really was a happenstance, right? I I was teaching um, for uh, really I got called to teach at this place called the, the Beckett School of Music, which is this popular music school that's been in town forever. Um, and I, I was teaching there and then Laurier ended up absorbing that school. And, uh, and so that's how I really ended up in there. But now since I've been there, I've made some great connections at the university and they're like, Hey, you should come in and do this workshop and you should come in and do this performance thing. And you should do this. And, and, uh, 
it's really opened some some interesting doors for me. And again, it's it's kind of one of those things. That, you know, at one point they're like, well, you know, you should. You ever think about doing your master's? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And I never thought about that. But you know, but I wanted to teach this one thing that was happening, and that was kind of one of the prerequisites. And they made me an offer that kind of would allow me to do it, and uh, you know, and and give the funding to do it. And so I again, it was one of those scenarios. And I was like, hey, do you want to do this? And I was like, sure, <laughs> why not? <laughs> not knowing, you know, like not having a clue what I was getting myself into, but uh, but again, it was great super rewarding uh, situation and that's kind of that's what i did during the pandemic because i did i got a master's degree with during the pandemic wow when i wasn't on the road and uh and so <laughs> and you know and that's sort of the thing some of the things i talked about earlier about you know i say well people come to me and they're like well, how do you i got called one time to to play a thing at center in the square and i can't even remember what it was for it's quite a while ago but and they said, look, we would you do this thing? You only have to play two songs. I'm like, okay, well, what is it? And they said, well, it's this concert, but in these two songs, there's an improvised section. And so we have this big string section that's playing, but nobody knows how to improvise. And the conductors want to have to write something out. So, but we thought you could come in and do it. And it's sort of a folky kind of thing. It's not super, and I was like, yeah, whatever it is, I could do that. So, so I did. I, I went in and, and I sat in with the string section and I just waited until that point in the song. Would, you know, I played along. And then at that point in the song, I stood up and did the solo and then I sat back down. And afterwards, I remember the guy sitting next to me turning around and looking at me going, how did you know what to play? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know. It's just... I think I said, I think I said, well, I don't know. I was just thinking about the chord changes that went by or I don't know I forget what my answer was, but, and I really got thinking about, you know, wow, like there's a lot of people that, you know, when you grow up, especially playing string instruments in, in a strict classical environment, you don't get asked to do that. Right. They can read anything, right. Anything you put in front of them, they can read it. Hmm. Technique is, is unbelievable. Like it's a hundred times better than mine. But if you take the music away and say, hey, just, you know, just, you know, give me the back half of this solo. It's like, I don't know what to do. So that became a thing for me where I was like, I want to I want to show people how to do this. Like, you know, I want to figure out a way to do this. And so that's sort of been one of the my main things in being at Laurier is that you know, improvisation for strings is a, is a big thing for me. So I I teach fiddle and improvisation for strings and to try and, you know, bring that out of, of these players, right? So that when they leave, you know, whether if they're students, it's, you know, and you want to leave with a music degree, then, you know, the idea is that you want to be able to work in the music industry. So that might mean you've got to, um, you're going to have to do these things, you know? So I just, you know, I want to prepare them when they, when they walk out in the world and, and, and be ready for those scenarios so that you don't have to, when somebody says, Hey, can you do this? don't say no you say yeah of course, of course I, I, can do that. I wonder you know that when, when roy roy clark's fiddler i guess taught you yeah. took time to teach you backstage yeah. on how to play things yeah yeah so i mean the, the fact that he took time and that was a great lesson to you i wonder if that's somewhat similar to what you're getting out of teaching 
Oh, for sure. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a great experience. Uh, and I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I don't seem to have a lot of students that come that are just putting in the time, you know, like they're just, you know, this is just the 30 minutes I got to get through to get to the next thing. It's like, you know, they're, they're quite invested in the, in, and, you know, I don't necessarily care if, you know, you don't have to be the best, but if you're, if you're going for it, if you're trying, you know, and, and you're learning, then, then that's a win. But I, I think you're totally right because I think everything that I learned, I mean, I took lots of lessons and I had lots of great teachers. Um, but a lot of the best stuff that I learned was in scenarios like that, where it's like, Hey, backstage, somebody's like, Hey, have you ever done this? You ever tried this? And they show it to you. And it's like, you know, it kind of blows your mind. Or I went to those fiddle camps and, you know, you're getting to sit down with Buddy Spiker and have Buddy Spiker, hey, you know, try this and do this and showing you the double stops that he played on such and such a record. And it's like, you know, it it fuels you in a way that I don't think anything else can, right? It just really puts a fire under you to be like, yeah, I really want, I want to do that. I want to know more about that and and then be able to use it while I'm playing. I take that idea and, and be able to my next gig or the next time that I'm out playing somewhere I can take that idea and so I try to I hope I do anyways kind of recreate that kind of scenario even if it is in a you know if it's in a teaching studio or, or whatever but or a workshop scenario it's like okay well this is this is what we're gonna do and and, and you know this is where how you can use it and make sure that they can you know leave there and, and somebody says hey you want to get up and sit down with the band they can say yeah for sure somebody says did you bring your guitar they can say no nope, <laughs> but i brought my fiddle right right shane thank you so much for taking this time i really appreciate it it's great getting to know you a bit oh it's, thank you so much for having me and uh yeah great to great to get to meet you and get to know you too thank you again you take care